Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry is working on projects. She'll be back. It's big. It's fun. So today we're going to have the wonderful Julia Shopik talking about all sorts of things. One of, the, one of the categories is John McCain's glioblastoma and possible protocols that could be beneficial to that and other cancer patients. So there's, that's going to be a great conversation, I know. Uh, and I want to remind you now, uh, because this is going to be one of those shows that you're going to want to know about because of the, just the content is going to be great. And we're talking about, also we'll be talking about low-dose naltrexone. So I'll tell you, remind you now that you can go to soundoftheoptions.com, click on the Blog Talk Radio tab, and in that will be the replay link to this show. And you can also go to any of your podcast aggregators, meaning iTunes or Dogcatcher or Pocket Casts or um, that's enough. Or Stitcher. Actually, that was the one I was trying to think of. Stitcher is a great one because it's cross-platform. You can easily share the show because if you know anybody with these some of these potential health issues that you're going to want to share this show and Stitcher makes it really easy to just email it directly to somebody. So that's a great one. My favorite is still Pocket Cast. And it's, yeah, it's a great conversation to be had here. Uh, but first, I want to make one short announcement about, <laughs> I didn't look for this, really. I was trying to find something positive, but I, I bumped into this. The fossil fuel industry outspent the environmentalists and renewables by 10 to 1 on climate lobbying. This is a study out of Drexel University by sociologist Robert Brule. And it's just, you know, here we are. It's just mind-numbing. So I won't talk a lot about that. I'll just put that in the uh, chat and in the show notes, uh, a link about looking at, you know, how much it's just... I don't know. I don't know. Money has to be, lobbying really has to get out of Congress, or money has to get out of Congress so Congress can, well, A, actually do something. And because how can we have any fair thing when you can just buy your way into getting things approved? It's amazing. So with that, I'll introduce our guest. Julia Shopik is a best-selling author of the book Honest Medicine, Effective, time-tested, inexpensive treatments for life-threatening diseases. Through her writings and her blog, honestmedicine.com, Julia's goal is to empower patients to make the best health choices for themselves and their loved ones by teaching them about little-known but promising treatments their doctors may not know about. Julia's writings on health and and medical topics have been featured in American Medical News, AMA, Alternative and Complementary Therapies, the British Medical Journal, and the Chicago Sun-Times. Julia joins us to talk about John McCain's glioblastoma and potentially beneficial nutritional and supplements for McCain and others. We will also talk about her soon-to-be-released book, The Power of Honest Medicine, LDN, the Effective, Inexpensive Treatment for Autoimmune Diseases that Could Transform Healthcare. Welcome, Julia. So Julia, I want to I want to start from a slightly unusual position 
because I know the audience is aware of your book, Honest Medicine, because it's in the show notes about the last show we did in March 1st of 2015, which I can't believe it was three years ago, when we talked about your book, Honest Medicine. I want to talk from a really important point in this time. I want to talk about John McCain's glioblastoma, how Honest Medicine really so fits so amazingly for what could benefit him given the opportunity for him to engage that. I'm so glad you asked that, Richard, because people who read Honest Medicine, and I know you're one of you're one of the people who did, know that my medical advocacy, health advocacy, patient advocacy, is a result of my husband having had a brain tumor. One one grade below uh, John McCain's glioblastoma. So I was thrown in for 15 years when my husband was was living with, you know, the effects of the brain tumor in the brain tumor world. And uh, I learned a, an awful lot, you know, be more than I almost wanted to know. And what I did know was that brain tumors are particularly lethal and that the glioblastoma is, it, it, it's, it's called the terminator. I mean, that is what wow. it's called. Yes. And so when he was diagnosed, since since the time when Tim, my husband, had his brain tumor, one grade below a glioblastoma, as I said, I, I, I started to research, you know, tr treatments. He lived for, for 15 years. He was only supposed to live for three, my husband. And it was because of things that we did. So I became kind of, you mentioned before the show that you're kind of an information junkie. Hmm. I became an information junkie about brain tumors. And I knew when John McCain, I, I'm particularly fond of him. And when when, although I don't know him personally, but when he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma, I was like, oh, you know, there are, and, and then I read that he was at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona and that they were doing chemo and radiation. And I was like, oh no, because that's the standard of care, chemo, radiation, and if appropriate, surgery. And he did have surgery. And I was like, you know what? I know that the uh, that the lifespan of people with glioblastomas with the standard of care is pathetic. It's 14.6 months. That mm. means that many people live less, many people live more. So I had been amassing information about different treatments, partly treatments that I wrote about in Honest Medicine, believe it or not, that can be applied to people with cancer and especially glioblastomas. So I set out, I know this is a long answer, Richard, but I think it's an important one. I set out to be a mouthpiece, to, to educate people and hopefully to get the word to John McCain and his family about treatments, about A, the fact that from day one, if you have a glioblastoma uh, diagnosis, you've got to become proactive. B, that there are treatments out there that people have used that have brought them life beyond the 14.6 months. As a matter of fact, several people that I know personally have lived 20 years and more and still going with glioblastomas. So I decided to go on the air. First, I wrote an article that people who are listening to the show, I'm happy to send them a link to it about, about you know different treatments that we're gonna be talking about. And then I started to go on the air and talk about them. So this is the genesis. I want people with glioblastomas to know that there isn't just the standard of care. The standard of care is not good. 
with uh, glioblastomas and with a lot of cancers, but especially with the Terminator. And has the stent? Your husband had his first seizure seizure as a result of his tumor in 1990. Yes. And you and you started into the standard of care. From your research, has the standard of care changed from 1990 to today? Very good question. A little bit, and one of the things is the, a kind of chemo. Um, this is an interesting question, Richard. I have not really been asked this, but uh, thank you for asking it. Um, in looking back, you know, when Tim was diagnosed, we did, as I said, do chemo and radiation and all of that. But the chemo that we did was called BCNU and CCNU was the other one. Don't ask me what the long words are, you know, that it stands for, but those were the acronyms. And later in my research, I found out that those two, that those chemos did not even cross the blood brain barrier. So if I had to do it again back in 1990, I probably would not have had him do the chemo. But there has been a chemo since then called Temidor, which apparently does cross the blood brain barrier. And people that, you know, when Tim was diagnosed, when my husband was diagnosed, uh, people with glioblastomas were living maybe six, seven, eight months. So with Timidor, they're living 14.6 months. So, yes, the standard has changed a bit. But has the standard changed from chemo, radiation, and surgery? No. Just a different kind of chemo. That's it. Wow. I know. We've had so many. Well, it's sad and it's. Um, I'll even be willing to say, this is my opinion, uh, appalling because of all the amazing advancements we have in technology and, you know, robotics. And I'm not saying that that robotics is in any way a solution to cancer, but you would just think with everything else that we have learned and we have, that it just stuns me that it's really we're in 1990s for our, with a glioblastoma, you're in still kind of in 1990. Okay, they've come out with a new chem, with a new chemo that actually does cross the blood-bearing barrier, which is a whole show unto itself. Really? It didn't? That's mind-blowing. It didn't. Oh. And, stu- and stupid me, you know, it's funny because I say stupid me, you know, because my background is to really question the medical profession. And uh, my dad was a doctor who I can't say some of the things he said on air about his fellow doctors, but he was not a fan. And he basically said that the system is made of, of is, is, is born out of greed. That's what he said. People would have unnecessary operations. And my mother uh, had taught me that her, her own mother had survived colon cancer by going out of the country for treatment in 1928. Wow. So, I know. Isn't that amazing? Charles Mayo, the Charles Mayo, wow. had told my grandfather that my grandmother had six months to live. She went to Germany for a treatment that was then experimental, and she lived 11 years. Wow. Out, outliving Dr. Mayo himself. So what I'm saying, though, is that you would have thought with my background, right, that I would have been on the computer researching, you know, had given him hell. No, I didn't. I was terrified. My husband was 40 years old. I was, you know, only married for five years and I froze. And we said, yes, doctor, just like my father would have been ashamed of me. So that's why after this was all over and I finally got my wits about me and did, you know, started doing treatments, helping him with treatments that work, you know, that helped. I decided I had to help other people. Yeah. And uh, let's, 
I'm going to jump n- not away from cancer, certainly, but I want to talk about something that we didn't talk about as much last time and I know has become tremendously popular. And when was when was the original Honest Medicine? When did you release that originally? 2011. So you were so ahead of your time because now this is all like everybody is talking about the ketogenic diet like it's just something you do every day. I mean, it's just amazing how powerful and popular the ketogenic diet has been. Oh, isn't isn't that amazing? It is just amazing. Suddenly, I remember when we talked originally about it and I knew about it way back before then. And it was really interesting. But now it's it's just everybody's doing it. But it really has tremendous potential benefit in cancer situations. Talk about the why and what that what it means for those that don't know and why it is so powerful or potentially powerful with cancer. You know what my theory is, and it's it's lots of people's theories. I don't want to make it sound like it's my theory, but cancer cells love sugar. And the ketogenic diet is a diet absolutely devoid of sugar. I mean no sugar at all. And it's a diet that's high fat medium protein and almost no carbs. And it's been used since 1920s at the Mayo Clinic at Johns Hopkins for pediatric for childhood seizures. Hmm. And uh, more recently, Thomas Seafried, a researcher um, with a, a PhD researcher, did a case study of the ketogenic diet for somebody with a glioblastoma. And I believe that was in 2010. I don't have all my notes in front of me, but it was, it was several years ago. And excellent results. And then he wrote a book about about the the ketogenic diet, metabolic approach to cancer. And several people followed suit. And so there have been a bunch of uh, of authors writing books about the ketogenic diet and cancer. Uh, there's Travis Christopherson, Nasha Winters, Patricia Patricia Daly, Miriam Kalamian. I mean, on and on and on. And I mentioned names to, just to give it the, the credibility, you know, that lots of people have written books. And it's been having, it's, it's one of the things, I don't think anyone says, that's not true. Some people would say just do the ketogenic diet as a treatment. But most people who use the ketogenic diet do it along with other things, including the standard of care, especially for glioblastomas. But it's been effective. And talk more about the, uh, just for a moment, about the pediatric epilepsy, because that's such an important, I mean, I, I, I've i worked with some people as an herbalist with uh, that had kids with epilepsy, and it's so difficult, it's so hard, so that the idea that diet would have a positive effect on that, and diet of all the things you might do is not hard, I think, yeah. compared you know, to everything else. You know what? You bring up a, such a good point. In honest medicine, the, probably one of well, all the stories, the honest, honest medicine and the book that is about to be published called The Power of Honest Medicine, which is a new book about it, one of the treatments. But in honest medicine, there are wonderful stories, you know, and one of the most moving stories is that of Jim Abrams. And he was the Hollywood writer, director, producer of the funny movie Airplane. And, uh, you know, his son, Charlie, when he was one year old, started having intractable seizures. And Jim, who's now a friend of mine, you know, he said then that nobody told him they all, all they would do for little Charlie, he had up to 100 seizures a day. All they would do is more and more drugs, more and more. At one point, he was on three or four medications at once. 
Yikes. And yes, and there is a video that I linked to in honest in my book in honest medicine, which shows little Charlie with a, a a jacket on him, a you know, so that he won't bump into walls, a harness, mm. so he won't bump into walls. You know, he's just learning to walk because he's so drugged up. And Jim goes to the library. And he really says, I didn't go to the library to do research, frankly. This was before, you know, this was in 1994, before the Internet was such a big thing. And he went to find out how are we going to uh, survive our family, you know, with this child who is just going to get worse. You know, seizures to the brain uh, can, can bring on retardation in children. And, uh, you know, and they said, what are we going to do? And what does he find? But he finds this diet. He finds out about the ketogenic diet and he's like so excited and it's being done at Johns Hopkins and the Mayo Clinic and he brings it. He has a Xerox machine going in the library and he brings the information to the doctors and the doctors say, don't try it. It won't work. Mm. Well, he, he they said, you know what else? It gets even better. He said, well, you know, I've been looking at an herbalist in Texas oh, and boy. also at this diet. So the, so the doctor oh. said, flip a coin. He says, flip a coin and do it. And so they ended up going to Texas to see the herbalist. And again, he had seizures. And uh, so finally, finally, he even let the, the doctors do a surgery on little baby's brain. And finally, after the surgery, he had seizures. And finally, he said, enough. And he took the baby, he and his wife, Nancy, took the baby, took Charlie to Johns Hopkins, put him on the diet, and 48 hours later, he stopped having seizures forever. Wow. I know. And Jim says, I tell this wonderful story. I usually start crying. I guess I'm growing up or something, you know, because I usually just start bawling when I tell that story. But Jim, in his chapter in Honest Medicine, says that the doctors, when they are approached, he says to me recently, they're still not telling people about the diet. They're still keeping, you know, in, in a lot of hospitals using, you know, using the uh, drugs. He says, they tell the parents that the diet is too difficult. And Jim's, it, it's not an easy diet to do, you know, the ketogenic diet when you're doing it for epilepsy. It's true. Mm -hmm. But Jim says, how dare they say what's easy? What's not easy is watching my child have a hundred seizures a day. That's not easy. Easy is, have, is preparing foods for him and seeing him flourish, you know? So Jim is still, Jim started an organization called the Charlie Foundation. The aim of the Charlie Foundation is to educate people, educate staff in hospitals all around the world. He hired a, uh, a nutritionist, a dietitian that goes around the world educating hospitals about how to do this diet. And you say it's easy, but the doctors are still, I, you know what? Not true. Some doctors are fine with it, but upset that they don't even tell a lot of them. I, I, ha I can't say all of them, but a lot of them don't even tell parents about the diet. Wow. Uh, isn't well, it sad? It, well, it's sad, and it, I sound like an attorney. It goes to pattern. Um, goes Western, to medicine, Western medicine still doesn't necessarily engage the idea of diet being important. No, they're not educated about diet. Yeah, Doctors. just diet, just diet, period. Like, don't have fructose, don't eat GMOs. Do, you know, I mean, just some of the things that we would think is more of a norm and this audience would think of as a norm. 
No. They just don't think that way. They think, you know, if you eat a Big Mac, it's the same as eating a grass-fed burger on an organic bun. It's 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 unbelievable. Yeah. But this is a sad, you know, to me, the, the exciting part. Okay, let's not focus yeah. on sad. Yeah, yeah. The exciting part to me is the Internet and that more and more and more people are learning about these treatments that I've written about and that others, you know, that you interview talk about. And they're bringing them to their doctors. In many cases, they're doing them without their doctors, you know. But uh, in, in many cases, for instance, one of the treatments that, that I recommend, you know, that John McCain and family learn about is low-dose naltrexone, which is one of the treatments I wrote about in Honest Medicine. And it's the treatment that is going to be front and center in the power of Honest Medicine, low-dose naltrexone. And that is one where you do need a prescription. And believe it or not, People are there are now loads of doctors who are prescribing it. Wow! So things are getting better slowly. Slowly. <laughs> yeah. And talk as, as as since we're there, tell us you know refresh us a bit on low dose naltrexone because I know it's such an important thing and it's an immune modulator and you know has other benefits. But talk about a little bit about the naltrexone, which some people might yeah. recognize from rehab world. From the uh, rehab world is right. <laughs> right. But I mean, talk about LDN. Because that's such a powerful thing. It is very, very powerful. Um, Low-dose naltrexone was, uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of the background, okay? Um, as you said, it, it, people from the rehab world know about high-dose naltrexone or just naltrexone. And at the time when naltrexone was FDA approved, uh, it was 1984 for the use for, uh, for drug addicts, you know, to block the, uh, the high, to block the, the yearning for, for the drugs. Now, Trexone was approved in 1984, and a man named Dr. Bahari, Bernard Bahari, he was a dual, he was a dual board certifi- certified doctor in neurology and, and psychology. And uh, he was working with drug addicts. He was a big shot in the New York world of drug addiction. He was the head of many, many programs for methadone, and he was, you know, a huge, a huge personality. And he was very interested in this drug, naltrexone. And it was, it was FDA approved at 50 milligrams, that's five zero milligrams, and used by, by rehab specialists at 100 and 200 milligrams. And Dr. Bahari said, oh, let me try this for some of my patients. So he did. He gave them naltrexone, and it did block the yearning, you know, the desire for for heroin. Unfortunately, it was so high, the dose was so high that people were, he says, what they could do the day before, they couldn't do anymore. You know, they, they just were so hopped up. But he noticed that it had, as you pointed out, immune, mod, immune system modulating effects. And he said, well, I wonder how low we could go with the dose and get the good but not the bad. And what would it do, you know, for things other than drug addiction? So that's what he did. He kept titrating it down, you know, lowering the dose and lowering the dose. And he finally gets to, to four, to four milligrams, of, uh, three milligrams, excuse me. And uh, it still has the same effects. And uh, he found that, uh, you know, a lot of the people who, who were drug addicts also had HIV AIDS, which was un- unnamed at the time. And he found that their, their disease stopped progressing. And uh, so he started using it. And then 
the daughter of uh, the uh, a friend of his daughter's came to him with this. So the story goes, uh, came with multiple sclerosis, and there were no treatments out there the way there are today for multiple sclerosis. So the story goes that she asked her she asked her friend's father, "Do you think this drug that you're that you work with might help my MS?" And he said, "Why not try?" So he did. And uh, her MS stopped progressing. Mm. And uh, yeah. So then, you know, it wasn't the age of the internet. And all people had was telephones and pencil and paper. And the word started spreading. And people started going to New York to see Dr. Bahari with things like MS, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune diseases, and uh, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia and uh, chronic fatigue, all of these diseases. By the way, there are now at last count over 200 uh, of, of these diseases, of autoimmune diseases. And it became what I call a cause celebre, a celebrated cause. And now, oh my God, if you're on Facebook, which I know you are, Richard, there hmm. are about 30 Facebook groups devoted to low-dose naltrexone. Wow. I know. And uh, in the appendix of, the, of my new book with, uh, with co-author Don Schwartz called The Power of Honest Medicine, we list, I decided, okay, let's give all of the information, right? So I'm like, oh my God, there are, as I said, just about 30 of these groups. Some of them are just general, like God Endorphins LDN. That's a, I love that title. Some of them are disease-specific you know, for fibromyalgia, for rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera. And some of them are in different countries, country specific. There are actually uh, LDN Facebook groups in France, in Germany, in the Netherlands, in, in Norway. And it's just a big cause because you know what? People are not, it's especially with autoimmune diseases, Richard, the treatments that are out there are, some of them are called biologics, that's injectables you know, and so they're very, they, for, for some people, they work. I don't want to say for everybody, they don't, but in so many cases, they're toxic, side effect laden, and very, very expensive. They're going to break our, our healthcare system if it's not already broken. Um, and that's, those are the ones, by the way, that are advertised so heavily on television, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so this is why people are so excited about it, because here is something that for under a dollar a day, you can, so many people have had excellent results with it. And with, with a minimal other effect. I mean, yeah, very few. That's the amazing part to me of going, you know, that Dr. Bahari somehow had a, an amazing vision and went from 50 milligrams to three milligrams. And so now the, the dose that it's really funny. The dose that people rested on is 4.5, but now a lot of people are going back to three, you know? Hmm. So yeah, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Now let's jump to your new favorite conversation. Cause I know this backstage uh -huh. about repurposed drugs and talk to us about Ben Williams. Oh, isn't he? Did you read about him? Yes, right? I yeah. Said amazing. Was, yep. Yep. Isn't this a great story? It's a wonderful story. Okay, this was in, in 1995, I believe, yes. Ben Williams, who was a scientist, but not a medical scientist, you know, more in the psychological area, you know, and he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. And he was told, you know, about, I believe that the, that the median survival at that time was about six months, and he was told, all you can do is chemo and radiation. 
And he said, these are his words. He goes, I'm a dead man, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, there's a wonderful movie. It's called Surviving Terminal Cancer. I'm happy to send, people can just Google Surviving Terminal Cancer, Ben Williams, you know, it's online and about his story. So he said, you know what? I, I got to do some research here. I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man if I don't. And what he found were that there were, was that there were many, many drugs, some of them, by the way, not drugs, some of them supplements, you know, natural things, some of them over-the-counter drugs and some you needed a prescription for, that were in early trials were found to be very successful in, in countering cancer and being used, you know, as, as anti-cancer drugs, but they never went through all of the clinical trials. So they were approved for other things. And I actually have a list of them here. Um, one of them is melatonin, which you can get over the counter, curcumin, which you can get over the counter. But then there are some drugs like Celebrex for arthritis, chloroquine for malaria, Depakote for seizures, Provigil, you know, statin drugs, even metformin for diabetes, mm. several of them. And he started taking, he, he was very industrious because he couldn't find his doctors to, to uh, prescribe them. This is the bad part because doctors, especially, uh, especially oncologists, don't want to step outside the box. We know that. So he was ingenious. You know, he lived in California, so he went across the border to get, I believe it was to get to Mexico where he could get a bunch of them for free, you know, not for free, excuse me, but without a prescription. So we got Accutane. Accutane for acne is one of the drugs that has cancer-fighting properties. And he put together what he called a cocktail, a drug cocktail of repurposed drugs. And uh, he just started doing very well. And he's alive and kicking today, you know, 22 22 years later, 23 years later, 2018. And now he spends a lot of his time counseling other people. And he wrote a book called Surviving Terminal Cancer. And recently there's the video, Surviving Terminal Cancer, which, by the way, some doctors have come around and they're on the video saying, you know, this makes sense. And now there's also a woman named Jane McClelland who has written a book. I don't have the name of it in front of me, but but anyone can. can it's MC, capital L-E-L-L-A-N-D, Jane. And uh, she is is also taking up the call for repurposed drugs. And uh, and there's also, are you ready for this? A place called the Care Oncology Clinic that has places, I believe one is an, one part of it is overseas, but then you have an office in South Dakota where they're doing research on four of the repurposed drugs for people. They're, they're actually treating people. This is a big deal now. And so, you know, this was another of the treatments that I wrote about that I was hoping John McCain's family would look into. So one was the ketogenic diet. Another was was low-dose naltrexone. Another was repurposed drugs. And, of course, the one that I used for Tim, nutrition, you right. know, supplements. So, yeah, repurposed drugs, I'm very – I just wish that more doctors would – you know, it's look, if what you have for a patient works – God bless you. I'm fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With with a glioblastoma, why several of these doctors, you know, one of them, I was either for, it was either with Ben Williams or another one on the, on the, the movie on surviving terminal cancer was told by the doctor, but suppose you have side effects. He looked at the doctor. He goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh Oh, my God. Yeah. Why couldn't the doctors even 
you know, choose to say, you know, I, you're going to do standard of care. That's what I want to do with you. But here's a book or a booklet of other things that I've heard are beneficial because it seems like even if the only things you did would be doing standard of care, if that was your choice and ketogenic diet and LDN and nutrition, that alone would give you, I mean, it's, uh, in I talk a lot about people's total toxic load, meaning environmental exposure and what's in the water and what's in the air and what you're eating and what's in your food and all that. And this seems the other side of that where everything that you add, every piece to the puzzle is going to have benefits. So the ketogenic diet is going to be good. The LDN has been shown to be good. Uh, nutrition and supplements that seem to make obvious sense because your body's under tremendous stress. So you want to take some of those to help benefit. And then to go even further, then you engage Ben Williams' work. It's amazing that they can't engage that idea, but they're not, they're not taught to think that way. They're taught to do what they're kind of told. You know, in Honest Medicine, you bring up a great point, Richard. There is a chapter by one of my heroes, uh, Bert Berkson, Dr. Bert Berkson, who's, who's, the thing he's known for is intravenous alpha-lipoic acid for, for liver disease and uh, for many cases of pancreatic cancer and autoimmune diseases. But in Honest Medicine, he contributed a chapter where he explains how doctors think and how doctors are, he says they're not educated. Education, it, education connotes, you know, that you think outside the box, that you're curious. He says they're trained. It's more like being in the military. And he tells the story that he himself had a PhD before he went to med school. And he said, when I was in graduate school getting my PhD, all of my professors were thrilled that I would ask questions. And in some cases that I would counter, I would say, you know, what you're saying doesn't make sense, professor. And they loved that. He said, when I went to MD school or medical school, I was told I did the same thing, raised my hands with questions, you know. And after the first class, I think he was brought aside by the professor and they said, you can't do that here. You You know what? You're not going to make it through. Yeah. What you're, he said that he was told what your job is, is to listen, take notes and spit it back on the test. So that's what Dr. Berkson writes about training, not education. And it's a shame. To me, it's a miracle if this is true, and I believe it is, that uh, so that there are more and more doctors stepping outside the box. It, because it sounds from from what Dr. Berkson says in Honest Medicine that it's very hard to step outside the box. Right. I remember many years ago, the first time I heard Bruce Lipton lecture uh, in his very first, when he was talking about his very first book, um, which I could almost read the title, but I can't grab right now. Um, and he talked about the term dogma. Yeah. And he talked about it from the perspective of medical doctors and how that they have dogmatic beliefs that they're taught. Yeah. And it's sort of like the dogma of two plus two equals four. Only in this case, it's medical procedures are like the standard of care that they're taught dogmatic beliefs. And that's that. They're not taught to, and he was sort of for a few years himself, sort of trapped in that dogmatic belief. And then he had some like, oh my God, no, wait, that doesn't make sense. Look at all this. And so that dogma can get you locked in. So it, it is great. 
I think it's kind of like functional medicine doctors. There are more of those slowly coming yes, out. That so. are coming out. By the way, I recently I went to see a doctor. I won't I won't tell who it was or or what, but I told him you know about some wonderful treat you know people who have lived 22 years with and more with glioblastomas. Do you know what he said to me? He said he said then they didn't have glioblastomas. It was. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, See, they're just—it's <laughs> an amazing thing. They believe it. They just truly just believe it. Just believe it, really... and you know what? You can't tell them nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, double negative, not meant. Yep, know? yeah, yeah. They're they're dogmatic, and that's it. I'm happy in my dogma. Don't oh, bother God. me. I couldn't believe that he said that. You know what? A curious doctor would have said, "Tell me about some of them." Yes. Yeah. He said, "No, no, no." Then they were misdiagnosed. It's just, oh man, yeah. I, I I hope it's turning around slowly from the doctors I'm experiencing of late. It's slowly turning. You know, there are more functional medicine doctors, more doctors engaging in, you know, naturopathic medicine, and even some osteopaths are coming back into the realm. And they're very medically oriented, but they have a much broader view of possibilities of the body. And there's this there's that angle of given the body the opportunity, it will heal itself. Yeah, And I think that's kind of what the idea, from my view, of the Ben Williams work of, he found something that helped his body get to a strong enough place to then go, no, I'm not dying. Yep. But I just love the way he just said, I got to do something. (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, if my husband had had a glioblastoma and I had frozen the way I did, you know, for uh, I, I doubt he would have made it. You know, something about my husband, though, he had this jaunty attitude, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But that'll do it. That'll do it. But finally, I did jump in and start, you know, researching. And, and then, you know, he, he was he, he was not happy that I wouldn't let him have sugar. But he said, Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. He said, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm alive still. I'm yep. okay. Yeah. And how did, how did, um, I don't know that you're right about this, but this just comes from, cause I have the, a, a list of some of the things that Williams was using. How did he eventually sort of dial it in and get figured? Did he, ex- he basically experimented on himself until it worked. Is yeah. that kind of it? Yeah. And, and also he, he was, he was a terrific researcher. You can't, you can't underplay that because he basically looked at, you know, what are the side effects, you know, and if something had too many side effects, he didn't try it or he, he, he was, he was an adventuresome guy yeah. and uh adventurous guy. And uh, so he, he would, yeah, he, he, he was his N of one. That's what yeah. we call it. Yeah. Yeah. There, he was his N of one. And since he was so successful, by the way, if you do see the, uh, the uh, video, you know, surviving terminal cancer, you'll see several other people who did these repurposed drugs, just like Ben Williams um, are, are in there and they've lived a long time too. Contrary to what the doctor talked to, you know, yeah, they had glioblastomas and they're still alive. So yeah, he was an N of one, but now he's, he's, he's spreading the word. That's very exciting. And I want to go back for a moment to Burke Berkson. Is he the doctor that got in trouble for giving I can't remember if it was him giving IV alpha lipoic acid in a hospital to oh, a couple who yeah. were dying from mushroom poisoning. Is that that doctor? What 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 memory do you have? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story, and you gave the punchline, but exactly. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding you. Yeah. But basically, what happened? You're absolutely right. He was an intern in a very big, prestigious hospital, 
and some people came along with that had mushroom mushroom poisoning and liver damage from mushroom poisoning. And Dr. Berkson was told, and I when he tells this, it, by the way, there's a there's an audio that I did on on my site where I interviewed him. And if people want to hear what a cute sense of humor he is, ask me, write to me at Juliet Honest Medicine. I'll send you the link to it, to the interview where he tells the story in his own words. But basically, he these people came and he was told there's no way they're going to survive. These are your patients. What we want you to do is to take notes and as, as they die and uh, present the notes at Grand Rounds because there's no way they're going to make it. You know, they're in liver failure. And Dr. Berkson said, Oh my God. He says, I-, I couldn't do it. So he called somebody at the NIH, National Institutes of Health, a guy named Fred Barter, a doctor there. And he said, is there anything that can regenerate a liver? And Fred Barter's Dr. Barter said, yeah, as a matter of fact, yes. Can't believe you called with this question. We're doing some, uh, some uh, studies on intravenous alpha lipoic acid. And it, 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 we're doing it for for people with diabetic neuropathy, you know, where there's no feeling in the extremities, especially the feet. <clears throat> and what we're finding is that those who had liver disease are getting better. Would you like to try it? And he said, yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was sent by airplane and he picked it up from the airport and he infused it into these two patients and they started their livers regenerated and they started getting better. Now you would have thought that the, the, his superiors would have been excited. But since you gave the punchline, we know that they weren't. You know? <laughs> they were furious at him. And they said, Don't, we said, they said, what did you do? Oh, no, excuse me. They didn't say that. They weren't curious. They just said, don't ever do that again. Whatever it is you did, don't ever do that again. And Dr. Berkson said, do you want to know what it was? And they said, no, we just don't want you to do it again. So next weekend, more people with liver poison, it was, uh, with mushroom poisoning came in, and he did it again. Again, people got better. Well, he would have been fired except for one thing. Fred Barter and the NIH, remember him, the doctor who told mm-hmm. him about it? Yeah. They were excited because here were, you know, experiments being done on people, you know, and it, it was working. So Fred Barter came and he worked with Dr. Berkson. They did a, They did their own study of 79 people with end-stage liver disease. They gave them, they gave them uh, the intravenous alpha lipoic acid. 75 of them revived. Wow. Is that not a, an amazing statistic? That's amazing. So Dr. Berkson said, I, I would have been fired <laughs> if this hadn't happened because he was now the darling of the NIH, you know? Wow. And, but however, he did say, I knew I wasn't made for academic medicine. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. He was already, he was willing to think outside the box and that dogmatic sector, it doesn't allow, doesn't want outside the box thinking. They no. want you to follow the standard of care. And yes. that certainly was not it. And that's a, a miracle. That's why I kind of remember Berkson and that story. I think I read a book about it, uh, about the the couple with mushroom poisoning. And he saved them and got in big trouble. And it's like, he at did. the time that I was, read it, and I thought, that's medicine. That, okay, that was probably yeah. where I read that then. It was but, the you book know, you read. Right, right, there it is. I know it's in there somewhere. There's a pile of, you know, data in my brain, sort of like a box of marbles yeah. sometimes. But it was just an amazing story of he did this amazing thing and saved these people's life and everybody was in a bad mood about it. It was like, what? Oh, oh they were furious. Yeah. You know? And you know what they said? They said, you didn't follow directions. You started using something that wasn't in our formulary. 
you know, I, I, I have to just say, I can't believe it, but I believe it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, After so but, many years. But he, wow. but he, he's, you might want to have him on your show at some point. Uh, cause he's, he's a stitch and a half, you know, when he talks about this, he, he's really, he's very creative. He thinks outside the box. He does a lot of things, you know, but, uh, he, he's just a genius. That's very exciting. Now I want to, I want to move slightly and I want to talk about the influence because in the chapter of your newest book, which is not yet in September, I happen to have a preview copy. Yes, you do. Uh, you talk about media. Oh, and the influence yes. of media. And you can already tell by my tone of voice. Uh, media, I should use a fake radio voice, but I can't. Media. <laughs> so talk to us about the influence of media and what's sort of, and, and you could even, because it's in here, we can talk about Michael J. Fox. Because this fits into this whole pile of mediaization uh, of things. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a mess. And But the good news, can I start with a good news story? Please, please. The good news in the new book, The Power of Honest Medicine, which is about LDN, we have a story. I have, I have four LDN heroes, you know, people who really went the extra 10,000 miles to get the word out about, about LDN. And one of them is Frank Melhus, and he was in Norway. And uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Frank, because I'm going to tag you when this is on, when this is online. <laughs> Uh, but in any case, um, Frank was a videographer at, uh, at the station TV2 in Norway. And Frank came down with something that was optic neuritis, which can be a precursor or one of the symptoms of MS. In some cases, it's before you get MS. In some cases, you get it on your own. In some cases, people with MS have it. And uh, this is a terrible thing. He, he, he was going blind. And that's a terrible thing for somebody who's, who does documentaries for a TV station, you know, if you can't see. And Frank was one of those guys, he says in the beginning of his chapter in The Power of Honest Medicine, he says, you know, I used to hate anything that I thought was voodoo. And he said, you know, things like LDN, you know, I loved pharmaceuticals. And he said, whenever I would visit the United States, I loved it that there was, he said, you guys have so many great drugs, you know. But he was told by his doctors that he was either going to get MS or go completely blind. Either way, he said, I got to start researching. And he found LDN. Long story short, I know we don't have that much time. He, did a, he, he convinced his, uh, his superiors at TV2 in Norway to do a documentary about LDN. And at first, they didn't want to. They said, there's not enough research. And he said, no, no, no. This is not about the science. This is about people. And this is information that people should have. And they finally said yes. And they let him do this documentary. And the, as he's sitting, waiting for it to air, he says, I'm one of the most, you have to know Frank to know he's not an arrogant guy. But he said, I'm now one of the most powerful people in Norway. You know, I'm going to be really having a good influence. And the show aired. And indeed, he was right. The use of LDN went from 300 to 15,000 people overnight. And now wow. 75, I know, I'm telling about the power of the media, right? Yeah. And now 75% of the doctors, not the neurologists, they still won't prescribe LDN in Norway, but 75% of the general doctors will prescribe it. And this to me is kind of like a poster child for what the media could do. 
However, and we'll get to Michael J. Fox in a minute, but however, in this country, the media is kind of run by the pharmaceutical companies and mm-hmm. the and the uh, the people who make the uh, the uh, the machines and all of that, but mainly the pharmaceutical companies. And uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's written a book that's decidedly troublesome to the pharmaceutical industry, it's called the Marisol. It's it it's questioning whether whether the vaccines are safe. It's not anti-vaccine, but it's questioning the safety. And he was told by one news director of a TV station that in non-election years, 70% of their revenue comes from pharmaceutical companies. Wow. And I know. And he was told, I'm going to say this slowly, that people, interviewers in that station are told, if anyone that you bring on your show makes us lose one pharmaceutical client, you will lose your job. And wow. so I know. And if you look at the the magazines that we have in this country, like People Magazine, I was I just came from a trip, you know. So I buy People when I go on when I go on airplanes. It's the only time I get to read it. And I look at the pharmaceutical ads, you know, three and four pages worth of them. No wonder there are no stories about treatments that are that are not standard of care, you know, in the magazines. So that's what what goes on. And, uh, you know, the sad part, you mentioned Michael J. Fox because he is doing, you know, he has Parkinson's. And Parkinson's, by the way, is one of the is one of the diseases that low dose naltrexone has had some real success with. As a matter of fact, one of the chapters in the Power of Honest Medicine is by Lexi Lindstrom, whose Parkinson's disease was helped greatly by low dose naltrexone. So when when Michael J. Fox started, you know, the Fox, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, people approached him, you know, from the LDN community. And they said, please, you know, study this, do this. And they couldn't get through. They could not get through. And then I'm, you know, I told you I'm an information junkie like you are, Richard. I'm Googling LDN, Michael J. Fox, and I see he did a study. And I could cry when I tell about this because he did the study. Are you ready for this? Of 100 milligrams or 50 and 100 milligrams of naltrexone. Not LDN. And remember the story about Dr. Bahari? Yes. How could you give 100 milligrams of naltrexone or even 50 to people with Parkinson's who already have the shakes? You know? And guess what? The study showed that it didn't help. I could have told them that. You know? To me, why are we wasting all this money? You know? Not studying things that might work. And to me, but I gave the good news first. <laughs> you did. By the fact that there are so many Facebook groups talking about LDN, is that beneficial? I mean, it is, it, it's informationally yeah. beneficial, but does that help somewhat counterbalance the mainstream of glossy ads in, newspa- in newspapers? That's dating myself. Glossy ads in magazines yeah. talking yeah. about the favorite purple pill of the week. I mean, is, is social media helping us? You know, yes and no. And the answer is basically yes. And in Honest Medicine, uh, the subtitles of, you know, the subtitles of, 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 of the subheadings, excuse me, were often thank God for the Internet, because everyone in Honest Medicine and in The Power of Honest Medicine, my second book, 
talks about that they found these treatments from being online, from things like Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So it's helping to educate people. But boy, if we could have a major TV station, you know, doing a, uh, a documentary like the one that Frank Melhus did in Norway. And by the way, you can, you can see it. I can send people the link to it because it's online on YouTube with trans with an English, with an English translation, Frank Melhus' oh, documentary. Cool. Yeah. If we could, you know, get something here, but I actually don't think so. Not with the power of the press. I, I, the power of the pharmaceutical industry on the press, I guess that's, that's what I want to say. And to me, that's very sad. And, uh, but you can't, you can't help me from trying, right? Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, that's part of what we do or, you know, here at the, you know, Sound Health Radio is really want people to have the information so that they can go out and start to beat the drum and do their own research. And there is a phrase that we use often uh, with Sherry's work talking about taking your power back. And that's kind of what we have to do at this point is we have to hear, you know, hear a snippet like I know I will remind people after the show that they can find this by going to soundhealthoptions.com and they can find the radio feed and I'll give other links and that kind of thing. And you'll do social media for the show as well. And that's how it, I think that's, that's sort of my thing is I just keep trying to get people educated about things that they can then use themselves, take uh-huh. the power back into their own hands because we can't depend upon Western no. medicine, straight Western medicine, non-thinkers, non, you know, open thinkers to do it yet. You know, maybe someday it'll evolve. Maybe in 50 years, you know, functional medicine will be the thing. But and not maybe, now. But not now. It's, there's too much money vested in when you, when a, when an industry has, this is editorial, when an industry has the power to tell a production company that if your person comes on the air and says something about one of our advertisers, they're fired. Yeah, that's that's something wrong, something very wrong. But I forgot to say something about the good news about LD. You asked, you asked, you know, what's the good news? And the good news is that the patients, I have not seen anything like this, if you want to know the truth, Uh, go on, where patients have been beating the drums and getting the word out and not doing it for pay, you know, and uh, for instance, the Facebook groups. Are, have, uh, have administrators, you know, all over the world who have been helped by LDN and they're helping people. And then there is a woman named Crystal Nason who has a list of doctors and there are, you know, that who, who will not, do not want to be listed on online, you know, because they don't want their fellow doctors to criticize them for stepping outside the box, but hundreds of doctors. And she keeps this list and she keeps updating it. And so if somebody says, I'm in Illinois and I want to get a doctor who will prescribe LDN, well, we can send them the names of the doctors in Illinois or the same with any of the other states. You know, so these, these, these volunteers, uh, I call them patient advocates, but they're LDN patient advocates. Are you ready for this? some of the, of the small studies? There have been small studies done on LDN. And one of them, famously, at the University of California, San Francisco, with Dr. Bruce Cree, C-R-E-E, was it, the, the small study was paid for by LDN patients. So, hmm. wow, 
Yeah, I call it a cause celebra. It's from the bottom up, you know, with patients getting out there and everybody's pushing. And you know what? I think they are making a difference. So I don't mean to sound negative. It's just if we could get one, uh, either a movie or a documentary that does what Frank's did in, in Norway, you know, wouldn't that be great? Well, that would be great, you know, to have this. Well, and that's why you and I do what we do, because you're out there pounding the pulpit, trying to get pay attention to this. And I'm just generally pounding the pulpit. Uh, you are. People, you, you, know. are. you do a great job. Thank you. And really wanting people to have the access to this kind of information. So when something, you know, so that they have it in their, I'll use a different term, but, you know, in their quiver of tools to work with, that if they do find somebody, they know somebody, I mean, LDN is pretty low impact. Once you find a doctor, it's and, pretty and, easy. And and we can get them doctors, you know, easily. By the way, speaking of the ketogenic diet, as we were earlier, mm-hmm. if you go on charliefoundation.org, there's actually, Jim Abrams has every hospital around the world listed that has a ketogenic diet uh, facility. So, I mean, we're making it easy, yeah. you know. Thank God for the internet, right? That is what that is one of the wonderful things about the internet is I, you know, when we when I press end on this show, people will be able to listen to it in ten or fifteen minutes and pass it on to anybody in the world they want that they wants to hear it, and that's an amazing thing about the internet. Backstage, we were talking about events, you know, where I have people all over the world on different shows that are able to come together. So you know. Isn't Thank God for the internet. You know, there yeah, is good I, things on the internet, not just Twitter. And <laughs> I know, but you know what? I have to tell you that uh, people make fun of Facebook, but I find Facebook so powerful. You know, I told you about the 30, you know, the 30 uh, LDN groups. There also, when John McCain's diagnosis, I got myself on, well, I had already been members of several of the GBM, glioblastoma Facebook groups, and they're powerful. You know, I guess what I'm saying is that that the social media can really be used for good and it can be used for not so good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think groups, I think the power of Facebook really is in its groups. Oh, unbelievable. The hyper-focused, you know, like you said, whether it's ketogenic or it's LDN or there's some other groups that I belong to, but, you know, even dog groups or whatever. I mean, I think that's the power of Facebook is to get a focused group, not this open potential craziness. You know what I found? I found that when I went in the, uh, I'm really known in the LDN groups, you know, cause I've been doing that for, for years, you know, uh, low dose naltrexone groups. But when I started being active in the GBM glioblastoma groups, people were very excited. You know, here they have been just told about the standard of care. They were very welcoming of, of, you know, I, I posted my uh, article, you know, about John McCain and, and, you know, what does my husband's experience have relevance to John McCain? And I, I will also, by the way, go on these groups and post our link because we discussed uh, GBMs. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're hungry for this information. Yeah. So that, that's why I love Facebook. I don't love everything about Facebook. How is that? <laughs> that's good. That's very nice. You cleaned it well, up never better than I might. My, la- my last meal or my. <laughs> no, no, no. I saved that for Instagram. Um, uh-huh. So I'm, I'm shocked to find that we're at that time that I want to ask you where to get people get more information about you and what you're finding. Do you want them to go to your website? Do you want them to go to a Facebook page? All that kind of stuff. 
Okay, thanks for asking that. Um, they can write to me at Juliet Honest Medicine. My website is honestmedicine.com. And the first thing, by the way, there are some very interesting things there. The first one is an interview with Dr. Bahari, Bernard Bahari, that we spoke about. The second one down is my article about John McCain and the treatments that you and I have been talking about for glioblastomas. But in general, I spend most of my time, uh, you know, on online on Facebook, and I have two pages. One, let me spell my name. It's S-C-H-O-P-I-C-K, and you're welcome. If you do send me a friend a friend invitation, please say that you, where you heard me, that you heard me on Richard's show. And uh, the reason I'm saying this, I get some so many invitations that sometimes if I don't know who it is, you know, but I usually try to be very nice. But the other one is a fan page for my book. It's called Julia Shopik Presents Honest Medicine. And I post basically many of the same things on both of them. And I think I post some pretty interesting information, um, you know, not only about me that, you know, I'm, I'm now writing articles for the, in, for the independent book publishers association on how to get good information, you know, about your important books, you know, the messages in your books and one, and I talk about how don't just post about yourself. So no, I don't. I, I post about other people's work and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way to get information out. So go to Julia Shopik Presents Honest Medicine or friend me on Facebook. Great. Oh, I have to spell my name. Yes. S-C-H-O-P-I-C-K. Julia. Great. Thank you, Julia. I knew that was going to go fast. There are so many other things, uh, so many other little tiny rows we could go down, but we're not doing that now. And I'm really looking forward to your new book because I think it'll be exciting to see really a book that's focused on LDN and its effectiveness. Can I say the title? Are we, yes. are we prepared? Okay. Go, go the ahead. New, the new book is The Power of Honest Medicine, LDN, the Effective, Inexpensive Treatment for Autoimmune Diseases that Could Transform Healthcare. Thank you. Not that you're taking on much. Really? Wow, that's great. I'm very excited about that. It could transform health care. It could. Health yeah. going to go broke the way we're going. Yeah, boy, at high speed. At wow. high speed. Yep. Yikes. All right, thank you so much, Julia. Thank that you was very much, Richard. It was, we'll do this again soon. Inter- yes, please do. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye, thank everybody. You.